0: welcome everybody to this episode of typology i'm ian morgan cron welcome to the show on which we explore the mystery of the human personality through, through the, the lens, lens of, of the enneagram. enneagram i'm here with my my friend <laughs> my producer my guru my my divine light Ian Cron, <laughs> anthony skinner how are you doing i'm good man I, awesome i'm good good i'm feeling i'm excited about who we have on the show today Uh, and i'm I'm excited about what we did last night yes right yes that's right the porch the porch hang the porch hang yeah right yes which our guest regularly attends. that's right yeah that's right let's talk about the porch so here's how it works right we i we i have this friend lance right and Mm -hmm. he and i randomly just started doing this right we we invite a group of guys, and we don't tell each other who's inviting who, mm-hmm. right? So I don't know who what three or four people he's inviting. I don't tell him what three or four people I'm inviting. And right. then people come to my porch, and we bring very expensive cigars. Right. And I buy really top-end bourbons, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I can't drink, but I can watch. Uh, <laughs> I can be the designated driver. and uh, And we just sit, and we just kvetch right we just sort of talk all night right and now the funny thing is but although i have to say about not knowing who each other are inviting because sometimes you know like interesting fairly well-known people show up on the porch yes right right. yeah like i've had a couple of surprise moments up there and you know in the interest of confidentiality i'm not going to like drop names but i've had a few moments like what (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) show up on my porch and vice versa for lance and but i'm always worried that i'm going to like I'm going to invite somebody that had an affair with the wife of somebody <laughs> on his team on my porch having a, either a reconciliation or a boxing match right, right. on the porch. Or you you robbed me of my business blind 10 years ago and I didn't know you were going to... Anyway, it is
1: pretty great. It, it is, is all great. ends
0: of the spectrum. I mean, you never know who's going to be... It is all ends of the spectrum. Yeah. In well. our, and there have been some cool moments, right? Because there, mm-hmm. inevitably there's like a cool question that emerges and from your notebook. I do. I have a note. <laughs> well, it's true. Hold on a second. Just to, you know, question know. Come I have them. a notebook of questions. Right. Right. Cause I think questions are so powerful and for Agreed. years and years and years, I have collected questions mm-hmm. like that is a big thing for me, man. Like yeah. to me, a beautiful question is something that like makes my heart sing. Oh, totally agree. A great question. Even if I can't answer it, it doesn't matter. It, you know, it's just too good to be true. If it's a great question, I think right? the right question is oftentimes better than the best advice. Right? Oh yeah, totally. Because it's yeah. troubling. It gets un- mm-hmm. you know, it gets under your skin and stays there a long yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. Answers bounce off my forehead, but like a good question sticks me in the eye. Yeah. What? <laughs> anyway, so today's guest is a regular on the porch, C.J. Cassiota, or as I like to say, Cassiota, All the way. From Nashville, Tennessee, via East Meadow, Long Island, near my hometown in uh, in Connecticut, right across the water. This is, a, of course, my good friend. You said C- "water"
1: so well, by the way. Water, like a true northeastern.
0: Well, how did I say it? Water. Water. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Not water or
0: not water. No, 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 no. Water. Yeah, water. Yeah, yeah. You got to say it like a little bit. You got to give it a little bit of the Goodfellas thing. Exactly. Like g- water. I was very
1: impressed by your pronunciation. Thank
0: you. Thank you. I appreciate it. So, C.J. Cassiata, author of the new book, Get Weird, Discover the Surprising Secret to Making a Difference. An Enneagram 4. Boy, that's a big surprise for a guy who wrote a book called (laughs) Get Weird. Anthony, did you hear that? I did hear that. Yeah. Yeah. A a, a 4 writing a book called Get... Is is it a memoir? Go figure. Is it a memoir? It pretty much is. (laughs) There you go. Well, man, I love this book. And, of course, it's really fun to have you here because, you know, sometimes you have people on the show you don't know and it's like... One thing, but it's great when you have friends on you that are on, and you can you know really dig into their psyches because you know where their vulnerabilities are. Um, so so glad to be on. Yeah. <laughs> well, do you like the porch? Here we go. I love the porch. Do you like the porch oh, nights. I'm pro porch. Pro porch. Pro porch.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm pro porch. There's a lot of stuff going on in this world right now. Everybody's either you know on one side or the other. Can we all just agree? Porch is good. The yeah. porch, is, porch good. is good. Porch is
0: good. Porch is good. Yeah. At cigars. Cigars. Mm-hmm woodford reserve and prying questions from me about your personal (laughs) lives um all right so i'm gonna ask the question that every this is your first book right yes okay so and how many interviews have you done so far a lot okay so they all work can i just say there's a couple of questions you are always going to get okay first one is so cj why did you write this book right (laughs) right but actually today i'm actually going to ask that question because it's germane to our conversation about the enneagram and about fours and it's actually this show is not just for fours this show actually is for everybody yes part of the message here is is that you know all of us have a bit of weird right Mm -hmm. sure right and we don't want to any of us to tamp that down in the interest of anything else. So tell me why you wrote
1: it. No, you hit the nail on the head. And, okay, and let's move on I, to the I, next I, question. <laughs> then. <laughs> <laughs> then good night, everybody. No, you know what's funny is the worst piece of feedback I could get on the book is that oh, this is for uh, creatives only, or this is for people who think they are weird. And what I'm trying to do is sort of push all of us as a, as a culture into recognizing that each of us has a uh, spark of you know the divine of the unique of the of the out there of of the supernatural. In fact, the, the, this sounds like such the most cliche. I wrote a book about weird, and here's here's the the Oxford Dictionary definition of the word weird. But I didn't know it until I started writing. Weird suggests the supernatural. It's actually part of the definition, and um and that's that's a lot. That's a that's a way weightier definition than I think we give that like word credit again. for. Weird. Suggesting the supernatural,
0: it suggests the supernatural. That's, I don't think
1: I've ever heard that's in the dictionary.
0: Really, mm-hmm
1: and so you start there, and you go, okay, well, well, gosh, what does that mean to suggest the supernatural with our lives and with our personality? And so for fours, it kind of comes naturally, right? We yeah. sort of just are comfortable going. Oh, I'm a little different. I'm I'm a little out there.
0: Well, we kind of actually bask in it. We
1: live in that. Yeah. sort of yeah. space all yeah. day long what this book is 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 trying to do is is help some of the others who may not know quite what to do with their inherent misfitness right and so what I try and do is kind of hold their hand in, <laughs> in as a for and go this is actually what it's like to be in sort of four land and, and and here's you know some of the good things that you can adopt as well as somebody who might not you know I, I hope an accountant picks up this book mm-hmm. and by the end of it goes oh my goodness i'm mm-hmm. actually wildly imaginative and wildly creative so
0: you say on this i'm looking at the back of the back cover and it says knowing what makes you weird is the best thing you can offer your art your business your friends your family and yourself tell me what does that mean
1: well i think you know, just from a, if you want to look at like brass tacks, even as a, as a business or, or, you know, an artist, you go, okay, uh, positioning, brand positioning, right? How, how are we unique? How are we purposeful? Are we purposefully different? And so what ends up happening a lot in our culture is we begin rubbernecking, sort of looking to the left and looking to the right and going, oh, they seem to be killing it over there. They seem to be doing this over there. And what we need to do, especially as the, the marketplace gets more and more saturated with um, things that kind of look like each other is go, well, what's, what's unique about our people? What's, and if you're just kind of going solo at whatever you're doing in life, whether you're an artist or an entrepreneur or a freelancer, you go, well, what's, what's inherently unique about my identity? And if I can sort of live and create out of that space, then that's my biggest advantage. And I don't think we, we default to that. I think a lot of us are sort of shy or afraid of discovering what's truly different about us.
0: So uh, I guess what I'm asking there, too, then, is is or what I'm hearing you suggesting is that people tamp down their weirdness. Yeah. In service to fitting in. Yeah. And uh, thinking that, you know, if I just sort of copy the guy next to me or the woman next to me who happens to be really killing it. Mm-hmm. Then I can mimic their success. I mean, you're kind of, by the way, undermining the entire self-help uh, business productivity <laughs> world right now. But that's all right. Um, this, which is interesting. My mission to me, in life, right? Yeah, <laughs> but as but, a four, yeah, as a four. But I, I, but what I find so interesting about it and so cool about it is, is what what you're saying is that you know you're a person's quote unquote weirdness, right? They're mm-hmm. the the particular like uh, the crooked timber from which they are made, mm. right, uh, holds the key to to really maybe um, that which uh, will best propel them through life professionally and personally. Yeah,
1: what is, is, is Cricket Timber an Ian Cron original? Is no, that
0: that's that's a line from a great piece of poetry. That's beautiful. I love that. Well, thank you. <laughs> I would take credit for it, but...
1: No, Cricket, that's, that's, a, that's a great way to put that, yeah.
0: So, um, what was it that, like, Made, propelled you to write that book? Like mm. what? what is the journey that you as a person went on that yeah. led you to the moment that that you had to birth the book?
1: Well I ended up sitting in a pub in New York City on a really snowy evening and I just pitched something that would not work out. I was sitting at this high top table all alone and I had my, my notebook out and I was just like having this very, very four sort of moment where mm. I was just wallowing. I the mean, shadow the, descended. Oh, it, it was here. It was right. hanging out with me. It, we were both drinking together. And so I wrote down, I was looking at through my, you know, my notebook, and I'm going, look at all these scribbles and sketches and doodles and poems and uh, that I kind of told myself were just for some other time. And I realized... Kind of in that moment that I'm like, when is that other time coming? Like, why am I not living out of these expressions of creativity right now? And so I wrote down this word, weird, and it, it felt kind of like this interesting, supernatural kind of moment because I was trying to figure out, well, what do I do? When people ask me right. what I do, I don't. I need. To, I need to eventually have a good answer for this. And I was a communications guy and a creative guy, and but really, what I, I did naturally, and I think part of my calling was I helped people, regardless of where they were out in life, whether they were a CEO or a friend, you know, that I was having a pint with, figure out what makes them unique, figure out their, their unique identity. And, Mm -hmm. um, and so I was like, man, I really just help people and companies and organizations figure out what makes them weird and live out of that space. And so that was sort of the word that I can, I could latch onto and hook onto and discovered I could actually write a good 55,000 words on it.
0: Mm hmm. All right, that's good. You know, we learned about now, you know, obviously you've been successful in the brand identity space and brand brand strategy with, you know, people like MGM Studios, Whole Foods... Uh, Lululemon, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Or I should say Lululemon. 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 Yeah. yeah, I always get that wrong, <laughs> yeah. which is funny that you actually did Lululemon and Whole Foods because usually that's where I see those people. <laughs> yeah, they're just very like did, synergistic. That, it's sort of like that yeah. was probably why that's you right. were so good at branding. It's
1: a lot of yoga pants.
0: It's a lot of yoga yeah. pants. Yeah, <laughs> expensive yoga pants at Whole Foods, yes. Um. <laughs> so what though is the story of you personally as a weird person like there's more to this story than just you know I learned this in branding you know it's like (laughs) my communications thing it's like I know you well enough that there's a story behind the idea of weird
1: yeah yeah and I think I'm still on a journey to, to figuring out how to articulate that but I mean I was a weird kid I was a misfit I was somebody who just never felt like I fit in and I feel like I was sort of sold a bag of goods that said, if you want to succeed in life, you're going to have to fit in, you're going to have to conform to a pattern, you're going to have to check up a box, you're going to have to do really well on a standardized test. And that just never was me. And I thought kind of the big sort of aha, you know, pull the wool kind of over your eyes for a moment was when I graduated, <laughs> I graduated college, I think like 2008, and so it was right when the recession hit. And I couldn't believe – I was the only one in my class of friends who graduated who actually had a full-time job. Everybody was, like, working at Starbucks and stuff. And I, I got in to a gig, like, by the skin of my teeth. But right. we, were, we all sort of felt like we were sold this bag of goods of, like, all right, so we, we went through this process of literally trying to conform to a pattern or fit inside a grid, and then we arrive at adulthood – and all of a sudden, people are asking us, "Well, how, how how can you stick out? How can you how can you sort of innovate? How can you create something new and different and out of the box?" And I, went, I don't know. I was taught the exact opposite for 18 years. So again, it, even it, it's funny how I even can kind of like dovetail back into talking about career stuff. But um, I think probably the deeper narrative is that I'm becoming more and more comfortable in my unique Mm -hmm. self and that is that was probably one of the most surprising things in writing the book was realizing how personal the finished product actually was Mm -hmm. versus a book where i was taking case studies from sort of out there and in the world and culture right that's kind of how i thought i was going to start it and then i end it and i go wow this is really my story from childhood till now with a couple of outside case studies kind of so, interlaced. Could,
0: could the alternative thing be tied up for this book be leveraging my foreignness for success? <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know, it,
0: it, no, because I
1: think I have a line in the book that says, you know, I, I, I don't think I'm supposed to teach other people how to be really successful. I think I'm supposed to remind them that they're okay. Right? What does that
0: mean? Okay. What do you mean when you say that they're...
1: Yeah. What does that mean? I think beneath okay is this understanding that regardless of what happens externally, that there's, as Meister Eckhart says, there's a place in your soul where you've never been wounded, that you're loved unconditionally. And I think for as many podcasts and as many books and as many e-courses, masterclasses, whatever, that are trying to help people become wildly successful and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I feel like I'm in the camp of people who are trying to remind folks that, hey, like you're, you're, you're human. You're living. you're breathing, you're okay. You're all
0: right. Yeah, You know, it's so funny that in in some segments of that productivity world, you know, the problem is, um, and, and not across it, but, but in yeah. big swaths of it, the message is you're not okay, right? Right. <laughs> you know you actually need to work harder, yeah, uh, or smarter, or faster, or more efficiently, yeah, and then you'll be as okay as I am, right? Who the person on the book or yeah. this group of people who you know, yeah, and and so. I mean, maybe that's a four. I was a four. Maybe I'm reacting, you know, pushing against the tide of that kind of message, which yeah. is huge. But I, I sometimes think to myself that you get more shame as you walk away from those things and, <laughs> than you do just about anywhere right. else, you know, like, you
1: know. Well, and, and and all that stuff is wonderful. The insight that comes out of that mm-hmm. and the, the knowledge and the, the education is pretty amazing. But you're totally right when you when you sort of shift it into a, a palette that pings at the the self worth kind of stuff, I think you start stepping onto some pretty dangerous
0: mm-hmm. territory. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think I'm gonna start an anti productivity movement. <laughs> I'm not it's sure. Boredom is shoot. a wonderful thing. I'm not sure what the you know, I'd have to look, look, at, it and get a and look, look at get on the source and look up you know jump on the, the, the source and let's find out what the opposite of productivity is because I'm gonna i st- I'm gonna write that book. We, I think.
1: we are becoming a culture that doesn't know what to do with boredom and is trying to eliminate boredom at all costs. Mm-hmm. I stopped carrying my iPhone around with me. I switched to an Apple Watch that's got like cellular on, so I just get uh, phone calls and texts if I need it. But I I stopped carrying my iPhone around with me because I realized how beyond just addiction. Anytime there was a moment. Where I had to wait for something, whether it was at a cashier yeah. or whether I, I just started pulling it out, and I got well. I'm I'm supposed to be this creative person for a living. I need to actually experience some boredom. I need to let my mind sort of and soul simmer a bit, and um, and so I just got rid of it.
0: <laughs> right. I mean, that's not. I mean, I get it. I actually had had two experiences this week with cell phones. I was. <laughs> I don't know why I'm going here, but here we go. <laughs> so I actually have two phones. Yeah. Right. I have a I have an iPhone. But I also have a phone that this company in Germany sent me. Have you ever seen that phone of mine? You told me the about Punkt. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little black P-U-N-K-T yeah. is the name of the company, punk And they sent me a phone that only will basically receive calls. And if you want to kind of go through the old keyboard method of sending a text, you can, you know? It's like you got to, like, hit the one button three times to get the letter <laughs> C to come up, you know? It's like... Yeah, the whatever. only reason
1: I did the Apple Watch... Was because of the flip phone. I, t- I right. just, if I'm in the grocery store, my wife texts me something. I got to right. text her back. Right. I didn't want to do the one 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 one. Yeah. Right. Three, three, so, three, two, two, yeah. Not so, good for
0: your tendons, by the way. I need you to be quiet. <laughs> Thank you. Because that's actually the second part of my story. That you just preempted. Thank you. So, I, so I have this one phone. So I yeah. leave my smartphone home a lot for that very reason, which is, I think I'm learning. People are forgetting how to pay attention hmm. to that, which is, asking their attention right? yeah which is called life so i do th- something similar but then the other day i went and i bought the new not the max iphone but the iphone 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 xr yeah right and i have discovered i just bought a second ipad <laughs> it is gigantic it's yeah. like the amount of real estate that these devices yeah. are beginning to take up in our in our lives is you know the physical unit itself is beginning to reveal itself to how much it wants to take over our lives in I, general.
1: I stopped caring about the upgrades once all the letters came in. You know, the X three seven <laughs> two. I, I you know, I don't have room for all the consonants in the Man. alphabet.
0: You know, we have a mutual friend, Matthew Perryman Jones, yeah. right? And he was on the show recently, and. and you know, great artist. And I, Anthony, did you see his cell phone when he was here? Yeah, it was like old school. He's got like an iPhone 5 or something. There's right. <laughs> that like, the screen is all cracked <laughs> and like, you know, there's like soda sticking on the side. <laughs> and do like, Lunch from two years ago is in the like the little, you know, ear, earphone jack. Right, right. I don't know what, but it made me admire him, you know. Good on that four yeah. for doing that. All right, let's talk the Enneagram for a second and how it's sort of. Um, figured into your own spiritual journey, your own self-understanding. Because, I mean, Get Weird is such a beautiful kind of like doorway into this conversation about fours and the Enneagram. Right? right. So, and the Enneagram in general. Tell us about that journey for you with the Enneagram.
1: Yeah, you know, I think, I'm trying to remember, I think a mutual friend of ours was the first one to tell me about the Enneagram. And so all I did was I read the nine little descriptions. I didn't even take the test. And I stopped at the four, and I went, "Oh, that that guy sounds awful." And then I went, "Oh, that's but that's me." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, right. And so it, it was really interesting. I've done uh, not knocking any any other assessments, but I've done you know the strengths finder, the Myers Briggs, right. all stuff. And I always kind of found myself like, "Yeah, I could be this guy, or I could be this guy, or I could have you know I, I got these five strengths, but I really right. you know I, I would always sort of come up. Um, with different strengths or either I, NTJ or e, whatever, all the consonants and vowels and stuff. Um, with the Enneagram, that is the, is the first thing I think is the only thing. And I think it is because it's such a soulful sort of grid for how you kind of go throughout life. I went, all right, that, nope, I, I could probably take that thing a hundred times and still come out at four. And so it's been a pretty, pretty tried and true compass for me. And it's given me a lot of, of language and sort of context to explain to myself. Now, I think you and I have talked about this, you know, in the past. The danger and the challenge is to not make that your identity, not to go, "Oh, well, I'm just a, I'm just this way because I'm a freaking number," you know. Right. Um, but it has been really, really helpful for me. I think it's been probably three years since I've sort of dove into it, and yeah, really cool.
0: mm So you got this nonprofit going on that you I started, do. and I, I'm going to probe it a little bit because it it has bearing on the enneagram and the, sort of the life of a four. mm because we had two conversations of many that stand out to me, um, in, in my mind as being sort of iconically for. Tell people what the what the nonprofit is.
1: Yeah, so what we're doing is we're taking the heart of the book and the biggest piece of feedback I've gotten from the book uh, from people is kids need to know this message or I need to share this with my kids, and so we've started this thing called RingBeller, which is um it's a nonprofit that puts video curriculum. In elementary schools with the the purpose of teaching kids the intersection of creativity and empathy or, or imagination and kindness and so it's the idea that every human being is pre-installed with the ability to imagine with the ability to be creative and because of that that imagination that creativity is actually there to make a difference in your community so we want every kid on the planet to know that they have something unique about them um, that's there on purpose and it's it's very good. So it's their weird. It's their weird, exactly. Okay. Um, and it's there to make their community, their environment a better place. And I think the more kids who know that, as great as our education system is, I know your wife's a, a teacher and everything, and she, um, but I think she'd agree. It's like we're kind of lacking in that space right now of, of, of giving kids interesting ways and, and really compelling um, reasons to believe that they... Can make a difference just the way they are in their own unique Mm -hmm. uh, identity. So that's what we're doing.
0: And how are you doing it? I mean, I've seen the films, I've seen the. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's really fun. Um, So, what we're doing is interviewing a bunch of creative. Grown ups. So, I, I ran a podcast for a couple of years called Sounds Like a Movement and got to meet all of these creative misfits, you know, artists, musicians, scientists, um, entrepreneurs. And so, what we're doing is we're going back and we're interviewing many of those same people, but it's kids interviewing them. And so, what we're doing is we're exposing these kids to um, to these creative grown ups. And for many of these kids, um, it's the first time that they get to, you know, realize that, oh my goodness, that's a job. I could actually do that for a living and, and the reality is we live in a pretty broken society where a lot of kids they don't have a a grown up figure in their life who can say to them, who look them in the eye and go, I believe in you you know. There's a lot of role models out there, but you know, a lot of times kids are, are looking at the wrong results, you know, right. that these um celebrities sort of take on. What I wanna do is expose a kid to a really creative, imaginative grown-up who's working hard to make a difference in their community. And I want that grown-up through the power of video to be able to look that kid in the eye and go, and you can do that too. You can use whatever is inside your imagination mm. to do that as well.
0: Okay, so that's... And, oh,
1: sorry. No, no, no. So we're basically calling it um, Mr. Rogers meets
0: Ted. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. So you said something a few minutes ago. You said something to the effect of we grow up feeling this tremendous need to conform. And at yeah. one level, that's a good thing. Right? Because uh, you know, if that's how we, that's why we have stop signs and uh, well, they're more right. like guidelines. Right. <laughs> well that's because from your Long Island. Sure. most of the rest of the country no, you know, that's I've New been on the Long Island oh, Let's know, be clear. That's New Jersey. Okay. <laughs> all right. So but my point is that, you know, so there is some level of socialization yeah. that's appropriate. Um, so that we, you know, all get along and don't kill each other. Uh, but the but but along the way, uh, our educational system and other things right, the conformity becomes sort of like, you know, you got to make a lot of cookies, right? Yeah. You got to have a process, right? A plant, and what I hear you saying is that we need to release kids out into the world of this thing of creativity. But people don't actually start stuff like this unless they've had a particular <laughs> wound, dude. <laughs> oh, we're gonna talk about that. Well, yeah, so. What is it in you what as a four mm-hmm. right, and I've never met a four who, <laughs> who didn't birth something either beautiful or destructive from their wound right yeah. or both mm. so nice. what 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 is what is your journey that has led you to want to do this for kids mm. I think I was
1: really misunderstood yeah why kid.
0: why why were you misunderstood
1: because I like to have conversations with grownups. I, I, I was very interested in grownup things. I I literally, there's a story in the book where my dad takes me to see Peter Pan on Broadway when I'm like six or seven years old. And we're on the train ride home. And I'm saying, dad, don't, you know, don't BS me. Like, tell me how these guys are all flying around there. He goes, well, it's a harness and pulley system. So I go, all right, but then where do we, where's the store? Like, how can we like, let's put it in you're saying this technology exists? Why can't? And he just was laughing the whole time, and I couldn't get it through my mind why we couldn't actually buy that material and just rig it up <laughs> in the backyard right. um, and put on our own, you know, off Broadway because we were, you know, forty five minutes outside of New York City, so we'd technically be off Broadway. Uh, off Broadway production of, of, off, of off, Broadway. P- off off Broadway, yeah. yeah. But yeah, and I I just don't think a lot a lot of kids were busy playing video games, and I wanted to. I wanted to play in reality, you know.
0: So what was that like? Was that um were, were you marginalized for that? Were you Yeah, I mean to the totally.
1: I, definitely. I, I felt like a loner. I felt um like I really didn't belong and,
0: and always knowing
1: that adulthood was on the horizon and it was something I just sort of needed to keep on sailing to um and eventually did. It's funny I, I graduated high school and I, I moved out to California and went to college, and it was like a whole new world. And it was like all that stuff just sort of vanished. And I met people who were serious about creating things and making a difference. And I said, where the heck you know, were you guys my whole life? But <laughs> You weren't in East Meadow. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> you, certainly not. And what was really interesting is we moved when I was um, 10 or 11 years old to a, a suburb of New York City, that was kind of borderline rural. It was really interesting. It was the place where a lot of guys and families who worked in Manhattan would go because it was quaint and there was apples all around and the leaves were turning and there were farms and stuff, and it was affordable too. So what that created was this really weird sort of juxtaposition of you had kids in school who grew up in that area, so they're all they're all these like backcountry you know kids, and then you had families who were trying to get their kids out of gangs, out of the projects, out of New York City. And and the the moms and dads would still be working these working class jobs. They would commute into the city. But then you had me, this little, you know, creative kid who wanted to be a director and a media maker and a writer sitting in the middle of, like, these backwood kids and, you know, these guys who just got out of a gang and going, I don't know, I, I don't fit in any of these, you know... Any of these contexts. So that was my child in a nutshell. Before that, though, when we were in Long Island, East uh, East Midland Long Island, I was there from like zero to ten, zero to eleven. I was like the king of the streets, man. I, we went from sidewalks <laughs> to no. Oh, I'm telling you, I was just. I mean, I had my little hammerhead ten speed bike, and it was it was great. Those were really really happy times. But then something something kind of shifted when we went from sidewalks to no sidewalks when we oh. moved when I was ten or eleven, and I would say from eleven to about, to really graduate in high school, I was like, how, when, when can I get out of here?
0: Right. I'm thinking about Carl Jung's great quote where he says, you know, um, you, are, you are not what happened to you, you are what you choose to become. Mm. Right? And I'm always reminding myself in other fours, and, but people in general, it's a universal principle. But fours, I think, just feel this sort of stuff more acutely which is people tend to identify themselves with a particular version of themselves in history, Mm. some historical, you know, memory of themselves, and they kind of get stuck in it. Like, you know, I'm the kid who's, you know, my identity is child of the alcoholic dad, or, you know, whatever your thing is, you know, whatever your narrative is, and then you get sort of locked into this sort of self-created, you know, vision of who you are that is, you know, really self-defeating and self-limiting, right? Um, And just, but I think for fours in particular to hear the message, because they, you know, all fours generally have this sort of view of this past that was, you know, loaded up with a particular form of suffering, you know, and, and mm. they, they make their identity gets sort of organized around that suffering. And it's like, you know, you're not what happened to you, mm. you know? You, you are who you choose to become. Yeah, right.
1: I always identified with uh, Charlie Brown. There's right. just this—if there was ever a, a cartoon that was a four, it was Charlie Brown. But you're right. It's the proclivity to go. This just must be the way things work out for me, and to have that become this sort of this cycling narrative—that's really hard to get out of. That's a really good point.
0: Yeah, it's so important to learn how to drop the storyline. Yeah. You have to learn to drop the storyline. And some people, uh, Don Miller was on the show a couple, not long ago, and I told him about this Mo Willems quote where it says, like, if you find I yourself. I love Mo Willems, by but, the way. Yeah, so it's like, if you find yourself in the wrong story, leave. Yeah. <laughs> you know, which is a great That's great. That's a great line. If you find yourself in the wrong story,
1: leave. By the way, he, th- there is nobody writing for kids like Mo Willems right now. I mean, it, he is just the man.
0: What's your favorite Mo Willems book for kids?
1: Anything Elephant Piggy is just you know
0: <laughs> you can't go wrong. Man, I, every time
1: I read you know read a Mo Willems book for the first time to my kid, I'm like laughing hysterically halfway through. It's like, Dad, what, what's the big deal? I'm like, this is genuinely funny.
0: So you've worked with a lot of companies, yeah, right? Doing brand work, yeah, uh, brand and production and stuff too. And like production, media, yeah. yeah, media, film. I've mm. seen your work; it's fantastic. Thanks. So, is there a message for like companies? Know, or for leaders in this book? Or are there principles in this book that they should yeah, pay
1: attention to? Definitely. So especially like, there, it's broken up into three parts. So part three gets really into how do you lead a movement out of your weirdness? Because in general, I've yet to find a movement that breaks the script. But all movements throughout history start out with a weirdo or with a couple of weirdos who gather more weirdos, <laughs> who create a weird sort of manifesto about why their weirdness matters. And then eventually hack into the mainstream culture and so we we pull apart that whole framework towards the end of the book mm-hmm. and um you know again it's counterintuitive to our human nature i think we want to go well, what's company a doing over here what's company b doing over here but when i would say foundationally like the kind of the first principle is lead out of something different and then secondarily it's you know that that different thing is probably not going to come out of a half hour, whatever it is, brainstorm meeting, it's probably not going to be a thing. It's going to be the people that you have around you in your team. Because as we all know, everybody is created, I mean, scientifically, right? Everybody's got this unique strand of DNA. So if everybody suggests the supernatural just by breathing, just by existing, the good thing about being a company or an organization is you've hopefully got a couple of weirdos on your on your staff. And so how do you Look to look inward and look to your people to excavate that unique step forward.
0: Mm-hmm. How many four leaders in business? Have you met? Not a whole
1: ton. There are a um, there are few, and I, I think the few that I've met have very, very, very strong uh, three wing, which I do. Right, so you're the four with the three heavy them. three. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Who might say, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's there's some some wildly, I think driven. Fours and um I think the challenge of a four, at least in my own life, is to make sure that that drive is coming from a healthy place and not out of the wound, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I know you said every four you've met make something really beautiful out of that wound, so I don't want to or something destructive, right? But I want to lead out of like the drive is there and it's just always checking in with myself and going. What's the you know? What's the
0: gasoline that's fueling this drive right now? Mm-hmm. How do you do that? Because you're actually bumping into a principle that's very important, right? Which is human beings all tend to think they're rational. There's no <laughs> such thing as a rational human being. Yeah, we're not rational. Uh, the, you know when people say Oh you need, you're irrational That's like a fact yeah, Thank you for thank telling you. <laughs> me You know you don't have to tell me Oh you're being irrational Oh no I know I'm being irrational <laughs> I've done enough reading and studying To know that all of us in this room Are being irrational right now Because people are generally yeah. Pushed around by emotions Yeah, right. And they don't even know Where the emotions are coming from Either in their limbic system In their amygdala Is it in their history Or is it all the above Right yeah. So learning in the moment Like uh, what is it that's Motivating my way of thinking feeling and behaving right now like is really important so that you can choose in as much as you can right yeah how to live in the world versus just be dragged through the world by yeah. your impulses instincts histories and uh you know you know your hardwiring going crazy yeah how do you know when you're living out of the wound in a way that's not good and when it is good
1: You know what it is? I think it's an energy thing. Yeah, okay, that's good. Tell me more about that. Like, if I feel drained from the drive, then it's probably operating out of my wound. My wife says something to me, which everybody has said is like the greatest point in the book. I I told her one day, I said, I I just feel like every morning I get up and I've got this like chain, you know, tied to me and I'm just trying to prove things to the world. She goes, well, what have you just shifted your perspective from having something to prove to having something to give. And so I really think it's that simple and just checking in with where the drive is coming from. Is this drive coming from this place where I know I have something to gift the world with, or am I just trying to prove something to a ghost that's 20 years dead already? Mm-hmm.
0: That's really important. All right. So- you know, I can't underscore enough, actually, how important it is for people to learn how to look over their shoulder, but, you know, look behind them over their shoulder mm-hmm. to see who's chasing them. Mm. I'm always saying to people, like, when they're in that, uh, sort of in a bad space, I go, well, who's chasing you? Mm. And usually they can look over their shoulder, "Oh, it looks like my sister or my mother or my boss or my, you know, worst version of myself, But whatever it is. Yeah. Everybody's got somebody chasing them. And, you know, it's good to know who it is from time to time because... Usually they're dictating the pace, mm. you know, yeah. at which you're running. Yeah. And uh, there's a great, you know, David White, the poet, and he's also a business consultant, David White.
1: You were telling me about him, I think, yeah.
0: So anyway, he has this great thing. He, he had this sort of moment in his life where he was completely fried, had started this really successful sort of, I think it was a non-profit, I can't remember, but it was very successful, mm. right? And he was exhausted. He was just exhausted, burned out, and he... Went to uh, um, see a friend to talk about it. And, um, you know, the the person said, you you know, diagnosed it beautifully. They said, you know, David, the opposite of burnout or exhaustion, uh, um, the solution to it isn't rest. It's wholeheartedness. Mm. Yeah. Like, if you're a wholehearted person you'll you'll you won't ever feel exhausted, yeah, if what you're doing is wholehearted right yeah. um it won't be depleting it it'll always be something that's giving back to you, yeah right, in some way so again i just to highlight you know one potential flag for people is um is your depletion the result of just too many hours or is it the result of not living a wholehearted life, yeah, like you're not slotted correctly mm-hmm you know, in some way.
1: Yeah, and I think for, for me, there was such a, a long season of going, well, what is the true self? And how can I actually find it? And I, I was listening to all of these narratives from, you know, my religious upbringing, which I've kind of moved away from, to, you know, all these exterior voices of this is what, you know, wholeness looks like and everything, to really kind of having a moment where I went, this is where I'm totally overcomplicating this whole entire thing. There, uh, there's a, and I forget who it was. Who it might have been Richard Orr or something like that. Who who said something and it just kind of clicked for me of going, oh, I think he called it. He said if if the false self is too tough for you to understand, um, think of it as the small self. Mm-hmm. And I went, okay, I get that. So I have these moments, and I don't, I, I hope everybody does, but it, again, this clicked for me in such a major way where I'm like, I I know. Like, I know the things that I'm, like, deeply convicted and passionate about. And it's not elusive. I just have to go back to those moments where you f- just kind of feel something in your gut. And I never knew what to name those things for so long. But now that I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I okay, I there's there are these moments where, like, the world is shut out. I'm going to care about these things. I'm going to drive. I'm going to be driven to make these things happen simply because, like, I can't not do those things. And I know what they are. Now that I can identify those a lot easier, I go, okay, how do I make sure that I'm feeling that way <laughs> most of the time versus playing the tapes that have often played over and over again again that are twenty fifteen however many years old that aren't necessarily reality anymore
0: well that's um I mean that's so that's beautifully said i this whole true self false self thing is something I've wrestled with for, for so long, mm. and I get it intuitively as to what it means. But it's very, very tricky landscape, really. And what I'm hearing you say is that that, that sort of level of satisfaction or it comes with alignment.
1: Yeah. And it can even be discontent, you know what I mean? Sure. But it's different than like a discontent that goes, oh, I want more material stuff. It's, it's this kind of underlining, this needs to be fixed, and I'm willing to suffer for that. Say that again? This is this needs to be fixed. I'm actually willing to suffer for that.
0: Hmm. So you're looking at kids that are feeling weird, uh, these little forward wannabes <laughs> in the world, and you're like, this needs to be fixed. It's this is worth suffering for that. Is that what you just said?
1: Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I'm I'm eating my words as I'm saying it because it's you know, I, I, starting a nonprofit super easy. By the way, I recommend that everybody do it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, but yeah, and, and not just the kids who, who, who feel that way, but also the kids who, and this is, this is where we get so caught up. It's like also the kids who feel really normal and are doing all the things that, you know, society sort of tells them to do. I want, I, I'm, I almost care about those kids even more because I know, I, I knew my whole life, even feeling a misfit, even feeling, you know, crazy that like, okay, I, I know how to access this thing, this creative side, that's probably gonna make me very successful in life and it's gonna be fine. Um what I want other kids to know who may not go, oh, I, I can't draw very well, so I'm I'm clearly not a creative person, or I'm not good at music, or I'm not to know that they're deeply art- they're deeply creative. They are are born with an imagination, and that imagination may lead them to um discovering a cure for cancer because they take the, the you know quote unquote scientific route. Right. I think the whole, you know, binary sort of division of the arts and sciences is is horrible. Um we should go back to the Aristotle days where we had the transcendentals and truth, beauty and goodness all kinda of hung out together. Um total side note. But I want I want that for, for those kids as well. I want I, I think until we start with a baseline in education and we teach our kids, hey, no matter what you sort of gravitate to The reason you're here on Earth is to bring something new that wasn't there before.
0: Mm. Okay, I got a question for you. Yes. Remember I told you I had the book of questions? There you go. Ian Cron book of questions? All right. So one of the questions I ask people from time to time on the porch is, uh, what wants to enter the world through you? Mm. Yeah. What wants to be born into the world through you? And I think that's what... You just sort of said in a, in a beautiful way, right, which is everybody got something, everybody got their little version of weird, mm-hmm. right, that is calling to be brought forth out into the world, and we shouldn't let it wither under the, you know, smothering forces of conformity or whatever it is that, yeah. you know, tamps it all down. Um, and one of the interesting things about this with the Enneagram is, is that we have to remember we all contain all nine numbers, hmm. right? So we just happen to be dominant in one. So everybody got a little four. Yeah. Everybody, right? The only person I know who is, does not have a little four in them is my accountant, and that's because I don't want a creative accountant because <laughs> <I'm, laughs> it usually means I go to jail at some point down the road. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> this is my creative accountant. You yeah, do right. not you do not want a heavy four accountant. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I But I... You know, we have all of us have these carry these sort of divine traits within us, right? So it only makes sense that what you're doing, I think, is in part is pushing a little flashlight onto the broad world of people and saying, you yeah. know, develop your four. What is it that wants to come into the world through you? I'm mm-hmm. you know? still
1: trying to figure out why doing that though is so hard. Why there's so much what Stephen Pressfield would call resistance? That that feels really just mean (laughs) well well, tell me why why it feels mean yeah because if everybody had no impedance to bringing what they were supposed to bring to the world i think we'd have a lot more
0: of it well yeah i mean part of the problem is is that you know we're born into a world uh and we come in as pure consciousness right Mm -hmm. with our little gifts and our little idiosyncrasies right Mm -hmm. and uh We get a message very early on that there are parts of us that are incompatible with what our culture, family, and everybody wants from us. And if we want to get loved and, you know, fed and all that other stuff, then we need to really amputate parts of our genuine selves away, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Or to hide them Mm -hmm. and conform to what others want us to do and be so we can be part of a tribe, you know, be part of the herd and we don't get thrown out. These are just, just survival stuff, right? It's not... Necessarily bad, it's just sort of a, a bad consequence of uh, a necessary socialization pattern. Right. right. So what is sad is when people get to the end of their lives and they realize, I didn't live my own life. Mm. I either lived a life that was thrust onto me yeah. by somebody else, or one that my culture said was the only one that was acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. And so I really kind of missed my vocation or what I was meant to bring into the world because there were too many forces that were militating against it. Mm.
1: Yep. That's something I'm learning to do a little bit better these days, but it's still really hard, and it'll depend on the day. But there are there are more days than there were two years ago, three years ago, where I go, I'll start thinking about somebody else's sort of perceived narrative and go, who cares? Like that's to let them live their own. <laughs> right. has nothing to do with you.
0: Right. Well, dude, this has been a good conversation. Here we are talking about the angiogram right here in, the, <laughs> right here in the, our Franklin studio with CJ Casciata. casciota <laughs> Sounds like a meat that I should buy in the deli. It's
1: actually a cheese in Italian. Is it really? Good, mm-hmm. because what I want
0: to say is, sir, may I have a, a quarter pound of your oh. finest casciota?
1: You can do that. You know? can go to a part And partner,
0: yeah. I need a little Pursuit. Pursuit well. and
1: Cachata go very, very well. Oh, fantastic. Uh-huh. Everyone
0: needs to get CJ's book, Get Weird, Discover the Surprising Secret to Making a Difference. CJ Cachata. And to, where, where are they going to find you on here, bro? They're going to find you at, what's your website?
1: Yeah, they go to cjcas.com. They can learn more about me and some of the stuff I'm up to, including our new organization, Helping Kids, called Ring Beller.
0: Man, I've seen the... <laughs> The video stuff, man, is fantastic.
1: Thanks. We're we're pretty stoked about it. Man. Anthony. Yes. Did you have a good
0: time today? I did. I had a good time. Speaking of Charlie Brown. Yes. <laughs> you want to hear some Charlie Brown quotes? Because you, you oh. he's your favorite dude, right? Laying on They're so four-ish. Oh, we'll close, they let's he's... close with it. Okay. Ready? Nothing takes the taste out of peanut butter quite like unrequited love. Is that not the <laughs> most poor thing you've
1: ever heard in your life
0: how about this uh, few people are successful unless other people want them to be <laughs> <laughs> i'll
1: tell you i actually might be the way i am because i just was exposed to way too much charlie brown as a kid it's a chicken in the egg kind of conversation you know thing
0: yeah. it always looks darkest just before it gets totally black <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Oh, here's okay. Now we'll close with this one. All right. Here's a Charlie Brown. Our case for Charlie Brown being a weird four, right? Yeah. I think I'm afraid to be happy because whenever I get too happy, something bad always happens. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my
1: gosh. Never was there more a four. Oh
0: no! I gotta keep going. Hold on a second. There must be millions of people all over the world who never get any love letters. I could could be be their their leader. Well, oh man! Words from a, from a famous four, Charlie Brown. Thank you. Our good friend CJ, thank you, brother. Love your new book, Get Weird, Anthony. Take us home, Ian. You know what I'm going to say in the words of the great Oscar Wilde: "Be yourself." Everybody else is, is already take. taken. Oh, already taken.
1: That was weird. <laughs> <laughs>